just how far is it to heaven? It's a question that children often ask, and I suppose that we as adults have asked maybe and wondered the same thing too. There's a song written many years ago and I think made popular uh, by country artist Kitty Wells. Uh, and in the story, in the song, a child had lost uh, its parent. I can't remember if it was a mother or a father. But, um, but the words of the song are the child asking, how far is heaven? In other words, how, how far is it for me to, to go and, and see them again? And the world has offered many answers to that question. Uh, for example, there was a, another popular song several years ago that suggests that heaven's just a sin away. What a foolish, uh, fleshly view of, of heaven that is. And it just goes to show the shallowness of, of our sinful human mind sometimes and how we can make something so wonderful and so meaningful be so cheap and, and commonplace. If you look up uh, in a dictionary the word heaven, you may find several different uh, definitions. For example, in my search, the first definition that I was given was the sky or the universe as seen from earth, the firmament. And that's certainly true. In fact, the Bible uses the word heaven in that way. Genesis 1 and verse 8 says, And God called the firmament heaven. The next definition uh, in my search said that heaven is the home or the abode of God and the angels and the souls of those who are uh, granted salvation. And again, that is certainly true, and that's what we probably think of first when we hear the word heaven. Time and again, Jesus himself spoke of the Father which is in heaven. Heaven is where God is. It's where Jesus ascended back to when he left this earth. And it's where he's gone to prepare a place for those who would obey his word and, and remain faithful to him. But then the dictionary had this to say. It said, heaven is a condition of supreme happiness something delightful. Now that may not sound so bad, since surely heaven is a place of happiness and delight. But I think it's the way that we misuse that definition that, that often alters our view of, of heaven. How many times have you heard someone say, maybe you've said to yourself, that dress, for example, looks heavenly. Or this dessert is just heavenly. Uh, especially if it's chocolate. Or maybe I think I've died and, and gone to heaven in a a place or a particular condition that, that's very enjoyable. We use this word uh, that's reserved for the glories of God to describe the, the basest of things, whether it's clothes or food or, or, or even as the song says, perhaps fleshly lusts. And it's not just the, the world that misunderstands or misuses that. Even so-called religious groups uh, of our modern day, the Christian scientists, for example, they believe and they teach that heaven is not a future dwelling place, but it's a state of mind here and now. Again, um, the way that, that the world often misuses this idea of heaven is, is, um, is sad. But the Bible gives the true answer to what heaven is, as well as how far heaven is. As a text, I'd like to read from Acts, the 17th chapter, beginning with verse 24. There Paul is speaking to uh, those in Athens, and he says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of the dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Notice, yet 
he is not he is actually not far from each one of us for in him we live and move and have our being as even some of your own poets have said for we are indeed his offspring what paul said there about god in verse 27 not being far from us that is true of heaven as well heaven is not far from each one of us our lesson this morning concerns the church and its relation to heaven, its proximity or its nearness to heaven. And I hope that by seeing the relationship that the church has with heaven that we can answer this question, how far is heaven? Well, first of all, this morning as we study the relation of the church in heaven, we should know that the church is the entrance hall of heaven. Uh, when we speak of the church, of course, we're talking about the, the New Testament church, the, the bride and the body of Christ, the church of Christ. But before we can fully understand the church and its relation to heaven, I think we need to go back a little further, back before Christ came to earth and established his church. Um, in the Old Testament, under the old law, God's people worshiped him in the tabernacle or the temple. Tabernacle was the, the mobile house of God, if you will, a large, uh, magnificent tent that, that moved around from place to place with the children of God as they wandered in the wilderness. And then the temple was built by Solomon in Jerusalem as a permanent place of worship, permanent, that is, until the church was established. But there are some very interesting things about the tabernacle and the temple that I think will help us to, to better understand the church. Because according to Hebrews 9 and verse 23, the tabernacle and everything in it were copies of things in heaven. And so let's investigate that a little further. The tabernacle, as I'm sure you know, was, was basically made up of, of three parts. There was the outer court, uh, and then there, were the, there was the holy place, and then the most holy place, or the holy of holies, as it's also called. <laughs> And there was a, a wall of curtain, a veil, um, around the outside of the tent that created the outer court. In the court, in that outer court, um, were the altar of burnt offering and the um, laver where, uh, well, the altar of burnt offering was just that. It was a place where offerings were, where sacrifices were made. And the laver was basically a uh, pedestal, a bowl filled with water where the priests would wash before they offered sacrifices or before they entered the tabernacle. Now, the interior of the tabernacle was divided into two rooms, the holy place and the most holy place. These were separated by a very special curtain or veil. And upon entrance into the tabernacle, the, the first room was the holy place. Here we found, or were found three pieces of furniture, if you will, the altar of incense and the table of showbread and the lampstand. The altar of incense was a, a small table where incense was burned in the mornings and evening, evenings. And the lampstand was uh, something that held oil lamps, which were lit uh, each evening and burned through the night. And then the table of showbread held 12 loaves of unleavened bread, which represented the 12 tribes of, tribes of Israel. And these were replaced, replaced each Sabbath and eaten by the priests. Then finally, there was the inner room, which was called the most holy place. There was just one single piece of furniture, the Ark of the Covenant. And it was considered the most sacred article in Israel because it was the dwelling place of God. 
So I said the most holy place was separated by that veil, and it can only be entered one day a year, and only by the high priest to offer the blood of atonement sacrifice before God. And so what does all this have to do with, with us, and specifically with the church? Well, the Bible teaches in Hebrews, the ninth chapter, that the tabernacle typified or it foreshadowed, it uh, was a... Was a um, it was an example, if you will, um, of the realities that were brought to light in the Christian dispensation. In other words, it represented, it was symbolic, as verse 9 says, of what was to come when Christ came to earth. Verse 11 there says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, Let's get a little bit more specific. The, the outer court, for example, that I think represents the world. The altar of burnt offerings upon which sacrifices were made represents the sacrifice that, that Christ made, dying on the cross, shedding his blood, uh, becoming the perfect spotless sacrifice that could cleanse us once and for all. That laver where the priests were, were ceremoniously washed before they could enter the holy place, that compares to our baptism. And I think this is especially meaningful when we realize that the holy place, as we'll see in a moment, is a symbol of the church. We know the New Testament teaches that we must be baptized in order to be added to the church, just as priests had to wash before entering the holy place. Now, more about this connection uh, uh, between the holy place and the church. Paul, speaking to the church at Corinth, said in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 16 and 17, Do you not know that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. As we said, only priests could enter into the holy place. Well, Revelation 1 and verse 6, 6 says, speaking to the church, that Jesus has made us kings and priests. Peter said in 1 Peter 2 and 5 that we are a holy priesthood designed to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He repeats in verse 9 that we are a royal priesthood. Those three articles of furniture that we mentioned that were in the holy place, uh, these two I think have a connection to the church. In Revelation uh, chapter 8, John's vision there seems to imply that the incense rising from the altar represents the prayers of God's people rising to Him. The lamps there uh, burning within the holy place, they represented the, the light of God's Word burning through the night of darkness in the world. And even the showbread seems to represent the, the food that's needed for spiritual growth. Through it, God is seen. In fact, the word showbread uh, means bread of the face or bread of the presence, the presence of God. Brother James Orton uh, plainly wrote this in his book, Understanding the Old Testament. He said, the holy place represents the church and the furnishings within it show the means by which we may grow spiritually to become more like God. And then finally, the most holy place is a type or a symbol of heaven. That's where God dwells, just as He dwelt in the most holy place um, in the Old Testament. 
As Hebrews 9 and verse 8 teaches, the fact that no one except the high priest could enter it, and he only once a year, signifies that the way into heaven was not made clear as long as that old tabernacle stood. It took the blood of Christ, our high priest, to open up the way for us. Hebrews 9 verses 24 and 25 says, Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. Christ entered that most holy place once and for all and opened up the way for us. And when we obey the gospel, we enter the church, the holy place, and there we are in the entrance hall, if you will, into the inner place behind that curtain, into the most holy place, heaven. Hebrews 6 verses 19 and 20 tells us that we have a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever. And so the point is this. If we ask what relation the church has to heaven, the answer is the same as that relation between the holy place and the most holy place in the, the temple or the tabernacle. The holy place was the entrance hall into the most holy place. And in, in order to go into the most holy place, you have to first go into the holy place. In order to go into heaven, one must, must first go through or into the church. In view of that, can a person go to heaven without being in the church? Well, the answer is obviously no. And so how far is heaven? Well, it's as far away as its entrance hall, the church. Next, to understand the relation of the church in heaven, let's notice that the church is also described as the gate or the gateway of heaven. Turn, if you will, to Genesis, the 28th chapter, and we're going to read several verses there. I didn't put them all on the, the slides here, but um, there in, in verses 10 through 19, we find the story of Jacob's dream. To get a little bit of background, you remember that Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau, and Jacob and his mother Rebekah had plotted to trick Isaac into giving Jacob the blessing that he had promised to Esau. He disguised himself as his brother, he wore his clothes, and he put on goat skin so that he felt hairy like his brother Esau, and Jacob received Esau's blessing. Well, of course, uh, he also received in, in turn the wrath of his brother. Uh, in fact, his brother promised to kill him as soon as their father died. And so Rebekah, uh, fearing for Jacob's life, sent him away to live with her brother until Esau could cool down, so to speak. So let's read there in Genesis 28, beginning with verse 10. The Bible says, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed... And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. 
Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And so early in the morning Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon it, and he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at first. I should point out that the word Bethel literally means house of God. And what an amazing dream that must have been. But, but what I want us to see from this account is what Jacob had to say there in verse 17. He said, how awesome or how awe-inspiring is this place. This is none other than the house of God, the gate of heaven. And so we can see there that those two things are synonymous, the house of God, the gate of heaven. Well, let's turn now to the New Testament because there we find that when the Bible speaks of the house of God, it speaks of the church. Listen to, to some of these verses. In 1 Timothy 3 and 15, Paul writes, But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Again, Paul, speaking to the church at Ephesus, um, says in Ephesians 2.19, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. In 1 Peter 2 and 5, a verse that we read earlier, Peter tells us that we are a spiritual house. Hebrews 10 and 21 teaches us that Jesus is the high priest over the house of God. And Hebrews 3 and 6 speaks of Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. All of these verses teach us that the church, the one true church, is the house of God. And therefore, we can conclude that the church is the gate or the gateway of heaven. Well, once again, the, the point is this. If we ask what relation the church has to heaven, the answer is the same relation that the gate of heaven must have to heaven. What is a gate? A gate is an entryway, isn't it? It's the means by which we enter into a place. It's something that gives us access or admission to a place. And all of that is true of the church in relation to heaven. The church is the entryway to heaven. It is the way that we gain an entrance and access and admission into heaven. To put it plainly, you cannot enter heaven without going through that gate that is the church, the house of God. In the story of Jacob, when he woke up from that dream, he said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. Sadly, there will be many on the day of judgment who will say the same thing in regards to the church. They will say the Lord was in this place, that is the church, and I didn't know it or I didn't realize it. But by then it will be too late. And so how far is heaven? As far as the gate of heaven, the church. Well, next, as we study the relation <coughs> of the church and heaven, we should also note that the church is the kingdom of heaven. When John the Baptist 
came to pave the way, if you will, uh, for Jesus, there was one central theme to his preaching. Matthew 3, verses 1 and 2 says, In those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. After Jesus' baptism, after his temptation in the wilderness, he too began, began to preach the same message. Matthew 4, 17 says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When he chose his 12 disciples, Jesus sent them out with this commandment. He says, And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 10 and verse 7. Jesus preached how important and how essential it was to enter and to be in the kingdom of heaven once it was established. And that time, he said, and John the Baptist said, was very near, was at hand. And so what exactly did he and did John mean by this? What was this kingdom of heaven that was so near, was at hand? You know, when we hear of a, a kingdom, um, there are at least four, perhaps more, but at least four um, ideas or elements that, that come to mind. One of them is that there must be some royal power that will uh, rule over the kingdom. There must be a, a king, if you will. Another is that the people, um, there must be people over which this authority of the kingdom is exercised. There must be subjects of the kingdom or subjects of the king. There must also be some territory, some region or boundaries over which the, the power of the king uh, rules and reigns. And then finally, there must be a law. There must be rules that govern the kingdom. Well, with these thoughts in mind, there's, there's only one place in which we can find the full meaning of the kingdom of heaven, and that is in the church. The church certainly fulfills the idea of, of some royal power, some authority, some king. And that authority is Christ. Christ is the king of the church. When the angel spoke to Mary and told her about her son Jesus, he said, of his kingdom there will be no end. Luke 1 and verse 33. In Colossians 1 and 18, Paul says that Christ is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. He has the rule over the church. And in 1 Timothy 6 and 15, Jesus is referred to as the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Listen to Paul's words in Ephesians 1, <coughs> beginning with verse 15. Paul says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ... Listen, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What better way could we describe the kingship 
of Jesus. Christ has been given all authority and dominion over the church. May I point out that this cannot be said of any other religious group in today's world. No other body other than Christ's church acts under His full authority. All others act under the authority of men. For example, there's one large denomination that meets every year or so to to vote and decide what they're supposed to believe. Thank God that, that we have only one authority, Jesus. The church also fulfills the, the meaning of the kingdom of heaven because of its members or its subjects, those over which the authority and the dominion of the kingdom is exercised. The church is made up of the people over whom the Lord is the ruler. It's made up of those who are saved. Acts 2 and 47, a very familiar verse to most of us, says, And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2 and 12 that we are called of God into His kingdom. Colossians 1 and 13 says that the Father has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Today, if you are a member of the Lord's church, you are a member of His kingdom. Continuing on with the requirements for a kingdom, as we said, a kingdom must have a a territory, a region, if you will, that's under the rule of the kingdom. Once again, the church fulfills these requirements. The territory that the church covers is the whole world. Jesus said it best in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, what we commonly refer to as the Great Commission. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to to observe all things I've commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Mark 16 and 15 says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So what territory does the kingdom of heaven cover? The whole world. Every country, every race, every person. And lastly, a kingdom must have a law. It must have a set of rules to govern the kingdom. And as the church, our law is the one which Christ instituted through His death at Calvary. It is His last will and testament, the New Testament as we know it. We're no longer bound under the old law with all of its shortcomings. In fact, you and I as Gentiles would not have been able to to be members of that kingdom in the first place. The old law was fulfilled by Jesus, though, and it simply pointed forward to a more perfect law, which we now enjoy. And certainly for that, we should be thankful. Romans 8 and verse 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And James 1 and 25 says, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty or freedom and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. And so you can see that the church fulfills all the requirements for a kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 16, verses 18 and 19, Jesus told Peter that he would build his church and that he would give to him the keys of the kingdom to heaven. The church and the kingdom of heaven are one and the same. In Acts, the first chapter, Luke records that Jesus was with them for 40 days after his resurrection and before he ascended. And during that time, he spoke of the things pertaining to the kingdom. And he told them to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. Just a few days later, on the day of Pentecost, 
the church was established, just as Jesus had promised and just as prophecy had predicted. And now, what is the, the destiny of that kingdom, the church? What is the destiny of the kingdom of heaven? Well, 1 Corinthians 15 and 24 says that that kingdom will be delivered to God. You must be in the church in order to be delivered to God, in order to go where God is. You must be in the church in order to go to heaven. And so how far then is heaven? Well, it's as far away as the kingdom of heaven, the church. And so I hope this morning that we've clearly seen that the church is the entrance hall of heaven. It is the gate or the gateway of heaven. And it is the, the kingdom of heaven. So perhaps instead of asking the question, how far is heaven? We, we really should be asking, how far is it to get into the church? And so I ask you this morning, how far are you from the church? Perhaps for some, the answer may be not too far. You know, Jesus once met such a man. In Mark, the 12th chapter, one of the scribes came to him and asked him what the, the first commandment was. And Jesus answered him to, to love God was the first, and then the second was to love our neighbor. And the man agreed with Jesus and added that to obey these two commandments was better than all the offerings and sacrifices that anyone could give. And verse 34 there says, Now when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. Perhaps you're here this morning and you too are not far from the kingdom of God. You believe in God. You believe in His Word. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that He died to pay the price for your sin. You believe that only in Him can you get forgiveness of sins. Only through Him can you gain an entrance into heaven. If you are so close, then why not come in and be a part of His body, the church, His kingdom. Repent of your sins. Resolve to make a change and give your life to God. Confess your faith in Him as the Son of God and, and as your King and submit to Him in baptism. Contact His blood and have your sins washed away. That's what the Bible says will add us to His kingdom. Once again, how tragic it would be to realize on the day of judgment that you were so close to heaven but you didn't enter in. Perhaps you're here and you've once obeyed the gospel, but, but you are an erring child of God. You haven't been faithful to Christ. You've left your first love, as Jesus puts it. If so, then why not come back to Him through repentance and confession and prayer? If we can assist you in either way, please come while we stand, while we sing.